Hello and welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. My name is Julie Hogbin and I am the creator and founder. This podcast covers every aspect of conscious leadership and the conscious leadership code. And if there is a particular example or angle or subject you would like an episode on, please reach out and let me know and I will create it specifically for you. Being happy is an absolute choice that we make for ourselves within our life. And in its purest form, it is a simple choice. Now, I can hear you thinking, what's she talking about now? Being happy, I, you know, I can't choose to be happy. I can't do this. I can't do that. That happened, this happened, and everything else happened. And of course, being happy is an emotion. And we can choose our emotion. Nobody makes us feel anything we choose to feel. Now, I absolutely 100% understand that there is a reality of life and things happen in life that don't always make us happy. You know, we choose to feel sad. We choose to be angry. We choose to be resentful. We choose to be envious. Whatever the other emotions are that take over the happy feeling. But over the last few years, especially since 2018, which was the first time I can really remember being really unhappy. And yes, of course, there were unhappy periods in my life before, but none that ever got me in its grips, if you like, as as happened in 2018. And just so you've got a bit of an understanding of that, my mother died and I had a relationship breakup within weeks of each other. Um, and mum's was not an expected death. One day she was here and seven days later she wasn't. So there was little preparation time, if you like, allowed apart from saying goodbyes. So just on, on that point, before we even get into talking about happy, um, really think about if you've got loved ones around you that you're not spending enough time with, or you want to spend more time with, or there's something that you've not said that you really want to say, please do it because they may not be here tomorrow. But that's a whole other subject, which I've spoken about in the past. So I've been thinking about happy um, and being happy because I've now got my happy back and I'm a happy person, generally speaking. And it is an absolute choice I make. So now what I do, I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is smile, look at the ceiling and actually physically say out loud, I am happy. And it changes how your brain works and and all of that nice you like neurological pathways wire in but it's really got me thinking and today completely bizarrely by accident and I've never read it I picked up off my bookshelf screw it let's do it lessons in life by Richard Branson which he wrote in I'm just having a look at the published date 2006 and it's a very short book. It's got £2.99 on the back of it. Um, and it's got nine chapters in it, of which chapter two was have fun. So I just started to read it. And I thought that's interesting, which then reminded me that I had seen an article about Steve Jobs. Now, Steve Jobs, um, you know, a guru of his time, died young through pancreatic cancer. So I've looked at some of his words and I'm right, currently writing a book called 
Wealth Beyond Money with Emmanuel Ezekiel. And we've got some of his quotes in the book because he had something very special to say towards the end of his life when, unfortunately, he realised he didn't have much longer to live, which then got me thinking about the top five regrets of the dying. So these are really random connections. This is what my head does. Um, And I just want to read you out those top five regrets of the dying. Then I'm going to talk about Steve Jobs and I'm going to talk about Richard Branson. But I'm also going to throw something else in that I've just seen posted in a Facebook group that I'm in. So top five regrets of the dying. One, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, so this is of the top five regrets of the dying, which combine a book by Bronnie Ware, and she did this research. Number five is, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And this morning, well, I saw it last night, I couldn't, and didn't choose to, re- I chose not to respond to it last night. But this morning I had seen a post by somebody who I know not very well. And the post in a Facebook group basically said, going through the motions. And I've been thinking about happiness for a period of time now and mindfulness and being grateful and everything that links within my world that happy place, you know, what what is happy? How do you become happy? How do you maintain happy? What is happy? And I'm still I'm still coordinating it all, but for top five regrets the dying, number five being I wish that I had let myself be happier. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. So do we feel happy but we don't share it because we think we can't? So there's so much to all of this. And then I saw going through the motions. I didn't respond to it last night. And this morning, I just said, (gasps) why? Because if you're going to me, my head, my interpretation, clearly I don't know what's going on. If you're going through the motions, you're not happy. Because if you're happy, you don't go through the motions, you live your life. If you're happy, you've got a joy and an energy and a passion and a zeal for life. You know, you can hear it in people's voices. You can see it in how they react. They will probably be smiling. They'll probably be laughing. They'll probably be, I don't know, interacting with people. And happy doesn't have to be loud, but happy has its own energy. And I'm really asking you to think about what energy are you putting out there? Is your energy happy energy? Are people attracted to you because of your energy? Are you known for your energy? Do people help you because of how you present yourself? Now, I'm recognizing that happy, happy is, well, I'm recognizing happy is definitely a choice. Not everything always makes us happy, but where we stay is a choice. We get into that habit. 
Now, I learned something yesterday. This is even before we get on to Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. I learned something yesterday that people who have, so there's a, there's a I'm going to say a myth that goes round that says if you do exercise, you get a release of dopamine, which is the happy drug, you know, the feel good, the feel good enzyme that we produce for ourselves. But I was listening to a guy called Dr. Lieberman um, yesterday who basically said that if you are, and I have a love-hate with relate, love-hate relationship with exercise, and I'm a pretty happy person, and I go to the gym expecting to get this release of dopamine, and of course I don't get it. And that then makes me not want to go back to the gym again. So I have this like yo-yo relationship, which I'm laughing at when I'm saying it, but it's the truth. Um, And he was saying that people who are overweight or haven't exercised for a while do not get that instant dopamine hit from going to the gym to doing and doing exercise. They have to do a certain amount of regular exercise and the the body reawakens the muscle, how the the body works to then release the dopamine. So it's a, a process that you have to go through when you've not done it for a while to get that dopamine hit, which was a really powerful lesson for me to learn because I'm going expecting to get it and I'm not. So I'm thinking, all right, okay. So to feel good about exercise, I have to do it for a while before I get the feel good factor, if you like. And it took me back to me thinking about when I used to be very fit and I loved going to the gym. I loved the exercise and the music and the um, whatever the exercises were I was doing and the gym and the weight and the stretching and the, you know, the resistance and all that. Loved it. And then I stopped. And of course, I've got out of the habit and my body's got out of the habit of the dopamine. Now, I wasn't really going to talk about that, but actually part of feeling happy is feeling good about yourself. So your fitness, your, your nutrition, your mental health, your emotional health. And this is all in the book, which is going to come out soon, The Wealth Beyond Money, because everything is everything is connected. Nothing sits in isolation. You'll hear me say that a lot. Everything is connected. So we can have good health and we don't have money, but we, you know, and we'll end up poor or we can have a good relationship, but we haven't got money or we haven't got our health and we end up feeling poor. So everything is connected. Nothing sits in isolation. So when we're happy, are we happy with one thing or are we happy with that general view? And that got me thinking. So I've already spoken about Bronnie Ware. Now I'm going to talk about um, Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs um, died far too young. And and it happens to people. Of course it does. But he, when he realised that he was going to pass, started thinking about life. Now, whether he had done that before or not, who knows? But he said some quite profound things um, as he was coming towards his death. And he basically said that your overall happiness in life really comes down to asking four simple questions. And he basically said, and whether he had read Bronnie Ware's work, who knows? And he delivered these words to um, a class at Stanford University graduates in 2005. And it wasn't long before that that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So he said, your time is limited. 
So don't waste it living someone else's life. So I'm really going to ask you to think about that. Are you living someone else's life or are you living the life you really want to live? Because what I'll say is, if you're not living the life you want to live, live, please do something about it. Because we do, regardless of what your beliefs are, not regardless of your beliefs, but, you know, let's go for our one life in this lifetime on this planet. We get one life. I don't know how old you are listening to this. What's the average life expectancy nowadays? I don't know. 80, say, just go for 80 because, you know, life is expanding. I'm 64. So I, so if we go for 80, and I know I'm going to live a lot longer than that, but say I've got 16 years, am I going to live those next 16 years doing what I want to do? Or am I going to live those next 16 years living a life that someone else had designed for me? Now, I changed my life a long time ago. So I know how I'm living my last, if you like, 16 years. And I'm putting no time frame on that for myself. But really think about yourself. And the sooner you start this, the longer you've got to live the life that you want to live. And that's not being selfish. It's not getting rid of everybody in your life. But it's really thinking about what do you want to live? So think about. So think about these questions. Are you living the life that you want and doing the work that you really want to do? And think about, and this is what Steve Jobs did. He started to live each day as though it was his last, because actually it may have been, but so might ours. He also said, if today was the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today. And he also said that whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, he knows he needs to change something. Towards the end of his life, and it was towards the end of the life, the answer he said that he had was a resounding yes, because he's doing passionately what he'd been called to do, and he was living out his purpose. And he also said that he urges people to be willing to confront themselves and to ask the same question when you start your day. So pay attention to what's coming up for you, because if you think about it, where your energy goes, where your focus goes, your energy flows, and that's what grows. So think about what I said at the beginning. Being happy is a thought process. Being happy is a state. So are you really doing what you love? Are you choosing to be happy? Regardless of your scenario, regardless of your situation, are you choosing to be happy? So when you really think about that, A, of course, there's relationships, there's families, and there's the thing that you do that earns you your income. Are you doing what you love? Find out what it is you love. Look and work through your values. Find out what you're passionate about. Now, passion is to suffer. The meaning of passion is to suffer. I'm not asking you to suffer. You know, you can, you can have a purpose and you can make profit. So really, really think about, are you doing what you want to do or are you just doing it because it's bringing in a, you know, a a paycheck at the end of the week or the month? So think about finding purpose in your work. Think about purpose plus profit. You can have a passion and a purpose and you can get paid handsomely for it. So please think about that. And then at the end of this episode, again, you know, screw it, let's do it recommend buying it. It's a really, it's a quick read. Um, I've got $2.99 on the back of the book. I don't know where I've got this from. I've never read it. Clearly had it for years. Picked it up this morning. Hey ho. Things land on my desk when 
when I'm least expecting. So Richard Branson's take on having fun. Have fun, work hard, and money will come. Don't waste time, grab your chances. Have a positive outlook on life, and when it's not fun, move on. That could have been him and Steve Jobs talking together. So Richard Branson says, I'm just going to read you the paragraph. It's only a, it's only a few pages. It's only a few pages. It won't take long. So Richard Branson says, I don't deny that I've done well and had success. It has even been said that I turn what I touch into gold. And people ask me what my secret is. How do I make money? What they really want to know is how can they make money? Everyone wants to be a millionaire. I always tell them the same thing. I have no secret. There are no rules to follow in business. I just work hard, and as I have always done, believe I can do it. Most of all, though, I try to have fun. So even he clearly um, recognises that it isn't always fun, but he tries to have fun. He goes on to say, when I was about to go round the world in a hot air balloon in 1997, I knew that it was very risky. I might not return, and before I left... I wrote a letter to my children, Sam and Holly, and in it I said, live life to the full, enjoy every minute of it, love and look after mum. Those words sum up what I believe in. Don't waste time, have fun, love your family. Three philosophies that are really sound to follow, and that's Julie's words. And Richard says, notice that making money isn't in that list. I didn't set out to be rich. The fun and the challenge in life were what I wanted and still do. I don't deny that money is important. We are not cavemen and women. We can't live just on roots and berries. We live in an era when we must have some money to survive. I once said I only need one breakfast, one lunch and one dinner a day and I still live by those words. I never went into business to make money, but I have found that if I have fun, the money will come. I often ask myself, is my work fun and does it make me happy? I believe that the answer to that matters more than fame or fortune. If something stops being fun, I ask, why? If I can't fix it, I stop doing it. You might ask, how do I know that fun will lead to money. Of course, it doesn't always happen. I've had my downs as well as ups, but on the whole, I have been very lucky. For almost as long as I can remember, I've had fun and I've made money. My very first business lessons were not a success, but I learned from them. My first money-making scheme was when I was about nine years old. One Easter, I came up with a great plan. I would grow Christmas trees. I asked my best friend, Nick Powell, to help me plant 400 seeds in our fields at home. We worked hard, but also enjoyed ourselves. We enjoyed messing about on the farm. All we had to do was wait for the seeds to turn into Christmas trees, and it would take 18 months. The first thing I had to learn was how to use figures. I was not good at sums at school. On paper, they made no sense. But as I planned our Christmas tree business, I used real sums that did make sense. The bag of seeds cost just £5 and we would sell each tree for £2. We would make £795 
which was worth waiting for. Even at an early age, I planned long term and learned to wait for reward. My second lesson was that money doesn't grow on trees. Sadly, rabbits ate all the seedlings. We did get some revenge though. I'm sorry to say we had fun shooting the rabbits. We sold them for a shilling each to the local butcher and overall we did make a small profit and all our friends had rabbit pie. We all gained something. You'll never know what you'll find on a sunny beach. On holiday, I found my very own desert island and an airline. In 1976, I was working hard building up Virgin Music. Mike Oldfield had already been our first big success with Tubular Bells in 1973. We also signed up the Sex Pistols, the things were on the up. We were very busy, but we all also had a great deal of fun. People said things like, Branson's a lucky devil. And to come across a huge hit like Tubular Bells, yes, it was a lucky break, but we grabbed it. It had been taken to every other record company that had turned it down, but we heard it and believed in it. We knew it could happen. Making it work was hard for a bunch of kids like us, though. We had to find the money. We had to push it to the top. We had to think differently. We asked John Peel to play the entire album on his show, and he did. It had never been done before, and it worked. Sales took off. Mike Oldfield was too shy to promote the album, but we found an answer. We made a video and showed it on TV. And our big breakthrough was when it got used as the soundtrack of The Exorcist. Sales were massive. We were a success, but we never stopped looking for new sounds and new talent. By the end of 1977, I needed a break. My girlfriend Joan and I had split up. I was sad, but I liked to make to make the best of things. I always like to get away from London in the winter. Music, sun and sea make me feel good. The distance from London gives me the space and freedom. So think and plan out fresh ideas. I went to Jamaica. It was part holiday, part work. I swam in the warm sea. I sat on the beach. I listened to some great reggae bands. Then we heard a new kind of music. It was made by local DJs and radio jocks who who were known as toasters. It was a kind of early rap, so I was in at the start of something big. Jamaican musicians won't take checks, so I signed up almost 20 reggae bands and some toasters from a case filled with cash. We went on to sell lots of records with them. It was a perfect example of my motto, have fun and the money will come. I was still in Jamaica when Joan phoned me out of the blue. Can you meet me in New York, she said. We had a happy time in New York City, but the phone didn't stop ringing. We longed to escape and spend some time alone. Someone asked me if I had named Virgin after the Virgin Islands. The answer was no, we had named the the company Virgin because we were virgins in business. But I'd never been to the Virgin Islands and they sounded like the perfect romantic place for Joan and me. I'd spent all our cash on signing up bands in Jamaica, but I had heard that if you were looking for a house on an island, you would get a grand tour free of charge. I phoned an estate agent in the British Virgin Islands. I said I owned a record company and wanted to buy an island to build a studio on it. Please come as our guests. We have lots of lovely islands for sale. We'll show you around. Joan and I flew to the Virgin British Virgin Islands. We were treated like royalty. A big car met us at the airport and took us to a villa. It was like being in paradise. The next day, a helicopter was waiting to take us on a tour. 
We skimmed over green palm trees and a blue sea. We landed on one lovely island after the other. We toured fantastic private estates and had a great time. We spun our free holiday out as long as we could, but at last we were running out of islands for sale. We asked the agent if he had something that we hadn't seen. Yes, there's one. A real little jewel, he said. It's miles from anywhere and it's quite unspoiled. Its name is Necker. He said an English lord owned it, a man who had never been there. An island that was miles from anywhere sounded good on two counts. The first was it was such a nice long flight with plenty of scenery for, for us to enjoy. The second was that we really did like the sound of it. Unspoiled meant that it had not been built on. Perhaps it would be cheap. At first, island hopping was a game. We didn't mean to buy an island. I didn't think I could afford one, but now I was excited. I wanted to own our own place in paradise. I had another goal. We flew over the blue sea and could see pale sand at the bottom. We landed on a white sandy beach. There was a green hill in the middle and we climbed up it. The view from the top was worth the effort. We could see in every direction. The island was inside a coral reef. The white beach ran almost all the way around. The agent told us that turtles laid their eggs on the beach. The sea was so clear we could see a giant ray swimming along. In the middle of the island were two small lakes. There was a lush tropical forest. A flock of black parrots flew overhead. There were no big villas. It was a real desert island. Standing there gazing out to sea, I was a king of all I saw. I fell in love with Necker on the spot. The agent warned us that there was no fresh water on the island. If we bought it, we would have to make it from the sea. Good, I thought. They can't be asking a lot for a desert island with no water and no house. I asked him the price. Three million pounds, he said. It was far beyond my reach. I can offer 150,000, I replied. I was offering less than 5% of the asking price. I was serious, but the agent wasn't amused. The price is three million pounds, he repeated. Final offer I can go to is 200,000, I said. We walked back down the hill and got into the helicopter. We flew back to the villa. Our bags were waiting outside. We had been thrown out. We spent the night in a bed and breakfast in the village and left the next day. We spent the rest of our holiday on another island and our plan was to travel on to Puerto Rico. But when we got to the airport, the flight was cancelled. People were roaming about, looking lost. No one was doing anything. So I did. Someone had to. And that phrase there reminds me of Elon Musk and some of the words he speaks. I chartered a plane for $2,000. I divided that by the number of people. It came to $39 a head. I borrowed a blackboard and wrote on it, Virgin Airways, $39 single flight to Puerto Rico. The idea for Virgin Airways was born right in the middle of a holiday, although the actual airline only properly took off when I was sent a business idea. I had never chartered a plane before. But as with tubular bells and the Jamaican toasters, I saw and grabbed the chance. And look at Virgin Atlantic today. We fly to 30 places around the world. We have Virgin Blue in Australia, Virgin Express in Europe and Virgin Nigeria. And please remember, I'm reading this from a book from 2006. We are planning Virgin America and we've even gone further. Virgin Galactic will offer flights into space. No one else is doing that. It's a bold move. We are ahead of everyone. 
In 21 years, we have gone from renting a plane to space travel. Back in London with Joan after our holiday, I still had my goal to buy Necker Island. I did some research. I found that the owner of Necker was not rich, which is why he had never developed the island. I also found that he wanted to sell it in a hurry so he could raise 200000 to build a house in London. It was the same sum that I had offered the agent. It seemed that my offer was meant to be. The only problem was I didn't have 200000 so I was going to have to borrow it from someone. I offered 175000 which I didn't have either. It was turned down. I left it at that and got on with work. Three months later, I got a call to say the island was mine if I offered 180000 I was told that as part of the deal, I had to build a house and a plant to take the salt out of the seawater so that we could use it within five years. This would cost a lot, but I was positive I could find the money somewhere to do it and I agreed to the terms. Now, all I had to do was find the money to buy the island of my dreams. It seemed out of reach, but I vowed to reach my goal. I promised myself that I would make enough money to pay for the island, which I did, by taking on loans from the bank and by borrowing from my friends and family. So while it doesn't have to be buying an island, this is why I can say, have fun and the money will come. And in turn, so will your goals. He then goes on to talk a little bit about Necker and, and what a beautiful place, place it is. And he says, as soon as something stops being fun, I think it's time to move on. Life is too short to be unhappy. Waking up stressed and miserable is not a good way to live. I found this out years ago in my working relationship with my oldest friend, Nick Powell. Nick was with me from the very start of Virgin. I was the ideas person and Nick kept the books in order and handled the money. His main job was to run the Virgin record stores. They did very well. When we started the airline, we wanted to be the best. We sank millions of pounds into it. Our main rivals, British Airways, tried to stop us. As the war between us heated up, we needed more and more money and it seemed an endless pit. Virgin Music was wealthy, but the airline was eating up the cash and Nick didn't enjoy taking such huge risks. That was when we both knew it was time for him to move on. I bought his shares in Virgin from him. Nick's first love has always been films. He used his profit from Virgin to start Palace Pictures, and he made great films like The Company of Wolves, Mona Lisa, and The Crying Game, which won an Oscar. He is still in the film business, still having fun, and we are still friends. After a struggle, the airline finally went into profit. If Nick had stayed with Virgin, he might have made more money, but he would not have been happy. If we had gone on working together, even after the fun had gone, we might not have stayed friends. He made the right choice. And this is why I say never just try to make money. Long-term success will never come if profit is the only aim. Now back to Julie. I've talked about purpose and profit. I've talked about purpose and passion and profit. So if all of us can add in fun and purpose and passion and profit and enjoy what we're doing, it just makes our lives so, so, so much better. You know, if Richard Branson can say it, 
if Ronnie Brayer and the five regrets of the dying, they can say it. If Steve Jobs can say it, you know, and Steve Jobs and Richard Branson are, are two of the most successful people, if you really think about their journeys and, and what they achieved. So one is saying he should have had more fun and the other one is saying I've had fun and when I haven't had fun, I do something different. I mean, there are massive, massive lessons to be learned in this. And also from Richard Branson's story, when you really think about it, if you are in business for yourself or you know you are looking to do something for yourself, delayed gratification. He didn't expect to get everything yesterday and he didn't expect to get everything yesterday without doing much for it. So he was prepared to work. He was prepared to take the chances and have fun while he was doing it. So really think about, have fun, bring fun into your life. If you're one of these people and I have done this, you get to the point and you sort of get serious and you forget what fun is. You forget to laugh. You forget to smile. Everything's got to be done yesterday and you get into that zone of oh, it's just got to be done. I can't do this and I can't do that. I can't go out and I can't see my friends and I can't make the phone call. Change what you're thinking because being having fun, being happy is a choice we make. You know, going out for a walk and admiring the colour of the sky or the bird singing or the butterfly that lands in front of you, that brings joy. It brings happiness. Now, what brings joy and happiness for you will be different to me. And some of those similarities will cut across. So really think about, please really think about, how do you have fun? How do you have more fun? How do you live a happy life? Because God, just, just one life, make it happy or as happy as you possibly can. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter where you're based in the, in the world. Look at what you can do to be happier. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Conscious Leadership Podcast. And if you have found it useful, please leave a review. And if you have found it useful, please share it with others that will find it useful as well. If you want to know more about my publishing, please follow me through to the Amazon author page. And if you would like to follow me on any of my other social media channels, please do, which also includes a YouTube channel.